So just a little quick introduction. I, am almost, I can say almost with certainty, none of you have ever heard the Book of Lamentations read in a worship service before because it only appears in the Revised Common Lectionary once and it's an alternative second reading. Uh, so I'm positive you've probably never heard this book read out loud in worship. Um, this is probably the saddest piece of literature in all of the Hebrew Scripture. Uh, it is a poem written, as I told the kids, uh, after the Jewish people have been taken exile in Babylon in about 587 BCE. After a short period of time where they built this beautiful temple, the Babylonians, who are the superpower of the day, not only conquer the Assyrians, but the tiny little vassal state of Israel is also conquered. And when they see the temple fall, they believe that God has finally abandoned them. And in so doing, they write this poem. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed festivals. All her gateways are desolate. Her priests groan. Her young women grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. Her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile, captive before the foe. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has, dwelt, he has, he has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Because, because of, of this, this our, our hearts, hearts are, are faint. Because, because of these things, our, our eyes grow dim. For Mount Zion, which, which lies desolate, with, with jackals, jackals prowling over it. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? 
Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return, renew our days as of old. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. The word of the Lord. I wonder why in the world I decided to choose this particular text for this summer uh, that ends so harshly. Uh, two reasons. One, uh, our Jewish friends read this text in the middle of the summer and remember the darkness that encompassed their uh, grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers. And oddly, they do it in the middle of the summer uh, when it is the brightest and the warmest. Uh, It's in parallel to the uh, service of Hanukkah that they do in the middle of the winter when it is so dark and they celebrate the light. Our Jewish friends know ritual and things uh, way better than we do. The second reason we're doing it is that I'm studying it for class, so it's a double duty. (laughs) You know, I mean, if you're going to pay for it, you might as well get something out of it, right? So, yeah, there you go. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God. Stir up your holy power and come. Send your spirit into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our ears that we might hear a word for us today anew and that we too might then live out that which we believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who was once great among the nations, She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Now when the barn comes down after the whirlwinds of the tornado, the neighbors come to your aid. The community suddenly rallies and your destruction is turned to pride and hope and a sense of belonging. When the tornado knocks the barn down, we suddenly realize we're in this together and we will rebuild. But for Israel... The neighbor is gone. The sister cannot be found. The brother is forced into manual labor for the enemy. Your cousins are homeless. Your grandparents are lost. There is no one to raise the barn. Your children have been scattered to the wind, and mom is a widow. Dad's strength has been taken to the dust, and there is no one to help. All is lost. The barn falls, the crop fails and the rains refuse to return. Your teeth grind on the dusty gravel that once was your driveway and now has become your heart. And so it was for our Israeli friends. Jerusalem is no more. The tiny kingdom of Israel has been defeated. Babylon, the superpower of the ancient Near East, has conquered Assyria and taken the people of God captive as if they were just a fly on the map. Priest and king, children of mother have been marched south into exile. A return to slavery after years of freedom and hope. God has not just turned his back on God's people, but God has destroyed the very symbol and promise of God's love. Their home, their sanctuary, their comfort and their hope. The temple is no more. The home where their children played on the steps of the altar Their living room where babies were dedicated to God, their refuge from the daily storm of life has been overcome by the thunder of God displayed through the military might of the Babylonians. The very crown jewel of their faith has been destroyed. 
and there is nowhere to turn. The people of Israel were never large, never super, always teetering on the edge of destruction at the whims of the superpowers who surrounded them, Assyria and then Babylon. Theirs is a story of a people bullied and bruised and battered and abused. In their history as recorded in our biblical witness, their stories are less of their conquers and more stories of their losses, their defeats, and their humiliations. While the nations rage and war around them, celebrating the power of their victory over others, elevating their kings to the status of gods, Israel is a vassal whose God will reluctantly give the people a king, for there is to be no king except God alone. And yet the people are rebellious. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. God has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. God has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. God has walled me in so I cannot escape. God has weighed me down with chains. For the people who wrote this poem, it is God who has done this. There is no one else to blame. The enemy is so irrelevant that Babylon is never even named in any of the long lines of the poetic lament. There is no power in Babylon except as God grants it. There is no trampling of the vineyard without God's approval. There is no war unless God wills it against God's own people and uses the people of Babylon as God's own instrument for destruction. In this lament of total destruction, Babylon is not Israel's wrestling partner. Israel wrestles with God and wrestles with itself. The people of Israel don't know a word for atheist. Israel does not know the possibility of becoming agnostic. God is, in fact, all in all. For Israel, God brings the light and God brings darkness. There is no other power, no other love, no other destroyer, no other healing agent. It is to God alone that they cry, and it is by God alone that they suffer. And they are willing to entertain the idea that God both loves and punishes for their behavior, pointing always to the wholeness of God's vision for creation, both creatures and creation alike. What I find to be just absolutely most amazing is that after the crushing blow handed to them in their beloved temple, they do not lash out against the enemies around them. Instead, they lament. They voice their pain with full voice, screams, heartache, disappointment, anger, and utter disappointment all aimed directly at God. In fact, they have not been faithful, and so God has not been faithful in return. God has not remembered but forgotten them, and their suffering is in their relationship to God, not the Babylonians or anyone else. This is between them and God, and they are full of pain, and it gets worse. They're so cut off, they claim they cannot pray. God won't even hear them. Even when I cry for help, God shuts out my prayer. God has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. For the Jewish people, God's ears are closed. The argument is over, and Israel has lost. 
the heavenly courtroom of God's own making is no longer hearing any counter-testimony, Israel must walk with a limp even in her despair. There is no balm in Gilead today. There is no linen in which to wrap up and bear the wounds of the soul. There is only darkness. The dark night comes of the soul to the light of day, but Israel is blinded and still cannot see. Maybe you know about this darkness. When even the most beautiful crisp fall air filled with sunshine cannot penetrate the anxiety and fear, the sun rises, but your heart does not follow suit. You instead long, in fact, for the night, despite the desperate desire for sunshine, because in the light of day, the darkness and pain of your soul is only confirmed of its own darkness in the blinding bright light. In fact, the light will not heal, but instead causes harm in its juxtaposition to the darkness of one's soul. Depression is, in fact, not always healed by the light. But I know from own experience that, in fact, many times the light just makes it worse. In the light of day, even when we cry out for help, God seems to have sometimes shut out our prayer. The highway is crooked. And I know the feeling of having rocks in one's path. Yet Israel will not turn away from the one whose mouth declared the making of the world. Let there be light. With blind eyes, our Jewish friends cling to a God they cannot see. Without retaliation toward God or the nameless victors, they lament. They wait. They sit. They reflect. They repent. And they wait. And they wait. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he was young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. And in assigning all of these crazy world events to God, they turn to self-reflection. Notice they do not turn in retaliation. They do not return evil for evil. They do not return violence for violence. They do not lash out, and they do not go to war, and they do not blame. Even if they would have tried, it would have been pointless. They have been completely overrun. They are powerless. Yet they sit in their grief and reflect. They do not seek revenge. They do not return violence for violence. Instead, they turn to the very God who they believed has destroyed them for their own salvation. To wait for God's restoration of them. They break the silent the cycle of violence by both blaming and trusting in God. I would like to reflect deeply on that. As a country, far too often we respond quickly and with violence. We have not often enough reflected on our own culpability in light of attacks against us. As a country, we are not wholly pure, and those we call our enemies are not. They are, in fact, children of God waiting to be redeemed. It seems to me patience is no longer a virtue. Quick and swift are the calls for response. When sitting and praying, reflecting, and self-examination will, in fact, be the only way to end violence. For many these days, they see only destruction in our world and our country, they see what they believe to be the denigration of what might be called a white Christian society. 
Now I can tell you as a good-looking tall white male, I know that my privilege has often allowed me access to places and spaces which I otherwise probably should have been denied. Even while standing in the pulpit, I believe my voice should in many ways recede. And there are many, many others that should in fact come to the fore. I am in fact quite grateful for the rising plurality of voices, and I choose to believe that the suffering of minorities, people of different sexual identities, and others have been experienced in part to remind us who are the powerful and the privileged that our voice is not the only one in the world. We as the United States are not even God's chosen people. Rather, the chosen people as they have always been are the poor and the voiceless, the underdogs, our Jewish friends, minorities, the outcasts, and the left out. Please make no mistake about what I am saying. Each one of us for sure is God's beloved child, no matter our skin color or gender or job or income. But God's chosen people, those for whom God has special affinity, are always the defeated, the immigrant, the stranger, and the orphan. We must all acknowledge that the country, the post-World War II era, is no more. The gleaming chrome bumpers that once crossed the great American highways are now rusted, those steel bumpers are now dangerous when compared to modern vehicle safety, and the brief respite of calm and economic jubilation has been replaced by a chaotic rumble of institutions coming apart, racial diversity, social norms being challenged, and the crumbling infrastructure that once carried those heavy, hempy bumpers have now crushed the infrastructure that was designed to carry them. I might argue that the costume jewelry that was the past was a simple facade that hid the deep divisions that now have been so greatly exposed. But for those to whom those were the good old days, for them the city has been destroyed. She is a widow, and now death and destruction feel real. For those of us like me, we must not forget that we always stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. While we must move forward in our exile in these deep divisions, we cannot blame the past, nor can we hold back the coming future. For those of us who see in the current chaos the potential for the world that is multi-ethnic, multi-religious, a multi-faceted diamond necklace, diamond necklace that glistens with equality, fairness, integration, and compassion, we must not forget that this future can be seen as a threat to many whose worldview is now dimly seen in a rearview mirror. We must not leave them behind, but in love bring them with us into the current divisive exile that is our best hope. We must acknowledge their pain at the loss of their perceived dream and together dream of a new dream for a new day. Finally, strangely, I believe it to be true that God is causing this chaotic, difficult division in which we now live, and we must place the blame directly on God's hands in order that we do not blame our neighbor, whom we are called to love, and so that we will put our trust in the one and only God who then can relieve the chaos and recreate once again. The flood is upon us, and only God will dry our tears. Why, God, must we suffer before we can grow? Why, God, must we be so cut off before we can be redeemed? Why must you bring everything out into the light and expose our sins before we can forgive? Cleansing requires purging. Healing requires a sickness to be named. 
A diagnosis can only be given once the disease has been given a name. And so all of this I call to mind, and therefore we have hope. Because of the Lord's great love of all people, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord, unto thee. Amen.